tape is rolling. This is Doug. This is Jacob. And this is Best Worst Podcast. Do we have any idea what episode we're on? Dude, I have no idea. Yeah. 20-something. Yeah, I think most of our listeners will be surprised to know we still exist. <laughs> for my part, I'm living in Wellington now. I'm just up here for a quick break over the school holidays. Yeah, up and here being Auckland. Yep. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> for those of you away, I'm... For our international the- listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our, our amazing listener base. Um, so yeah, um, we thought we'd just get together and drink. What's our, our drop this week? Is the Delwini Delwini fifteen year old, and it is Cheers. excellent. It's a very good choice for a, a special occasion. Um, feel free to pour one yourself as we uh, yeah go over sort of what we've been doing the last few months in terms of movies. Probably the big event in terms of like cinephile. Uh, events is the autumn events which yeah. is the former world cinema showcase yep. uh which i got to experience for the first time from uh wellington oh yeah um, just in time for the uh, for those of you who are familiar with the world cinema showcase in previous years it used to be a compendium of uh recent films that were not of the right timing for the film festival yeah. and um it's gradually shifted now in that uh it was largely classic screenings and the um new films are almost entirely discarded so um having said that the um the program was pretty impeccable for yeah it was pretty um, fantastic unfortunately know, i couldn't make it this year which any of them yeah about <laughs> yes you would have missed dr strangelove on the civic which yeah. i did as well because being down in wellington we didn't get it oh okay yeah. and on the waterfront is this coming sunday down there so i oh, missed really? that as well oh. um they yeah they've done it a bit different in the Dockland. it runs over one weekend and then wellington they're drip fed over oh, a couple okay. weekends yeah. so that'll be it, about this when we can get the civic for probably probably yeah, yeah. and i think there's a tw- sort of a per day booking fee whereas yeah. like the um one thing Embassy? I've, is it done yeah, one thing I've learned by working out of Wellington now is that the um, uh, the film festival basically lives uh, in the um, uh, either part of the embassy or a building right ne- connected to it somehow. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I imagine that uh, that's part of their uh, secret. But yeah, so getting to see, I guess I'll go in the order that I saw them, maybe. Uh, or maybe not. Third Man, uh, which is the a lot of people say is the Orson Welles film, but is really a Carol Reed film. Yeah. But also based on the Graham Greene novel. Uh, yeah. And Joseph Cotton, who's the lead, is often overlooked in the... Uh, oh, yeah. thing. But the interesting thing is I, Orson Welles really gets maybe three scenes in it. It's probably most famous for its zither score, I think, which yeah. didn't really hold up for me as well this time through lots of it because it's very... You know, you get this kind of chase scene that you expect to be kind of tense and there's a little... Pink, 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 and there's something <laughs> kind of cheerful and not quite tonally clear about it. Um, but that really quite pays off in the last scene, which I won't oh, okay. spoil for people who yeah. haven't seen it, but is where sort of the emotional payload of the film yeah. comes to bear. I mean, still, um, maybe didn't hit me as strong this time as the first time I saw it, but still uh, absolute uh, must-see material for anyone interested in classics. Um, Funny Face, the Stanley Donen musical with Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn, Hepburn yeah. uh, as a very uh, age-gapped, difference um tim wong at lumiere has wrote actually a really excellent uh reevaluation of the film it's a very um it's a film that's reprehensible almost on a lot of levels Mm. but in terms of delivering an effective emotional payload as a musical and being quite playful and quite enjoyable as a piece of filmmaking you forgive it so much despite (laughs) the fact that it's so dated you know part of the plot involves 
Audrey Hepburn's character being besodden with this, who plays this intellectual who mm. agrees to be a fashion model so that she can go to Paris to meet this philosopher that she's interested in. And we can all see that the philosopher is really only interested in her for her body. And mm. at one point, Fred Astaire says, she's about as interested in the ideas in your head as I am. And this is the guy that's supposed to be the romantic hero, hero yeah. that we're uh, rooting for. So deeply problematic but at the same time they don't make like big screen musicals yeah like that anymore and just the sheer kind of ability to induce smiles mm. makes you forgive the idea of setting a norms normative value of beauty where the plot is based on the idea that audrey hepburn somehow has a face that's not sufficiently beautiful for anyone to take a chance <laughs> on her except one crazy out there photographer who thinks it's worth a risk um <laughs> Yeah, um, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Werner oh. Herzog, very early film, which he famously stole a camera for. And went oh, really? off. Yeah, I he, stole, he, stole, <laughs> he stole a camera from his film score, liberated it because oh, yeah. um, the film needed to be made yeah. on a very, very, one of many very Herzog kind of things. And I've uh, seen that film twice before, and it's still, I think when, you, when you're getting into it, there are elements of it that are slightly dated and even for the first half i'm like oh is this as good as i can i remember it being but um as it descends more and more into madness yeah. and desperation the the tone of the absurdities and the passion and the desperation all really congeals in such an effective way and klaus kinski you know uh, um yeah is such a perfect muse and seeing him on the big screen and it's where any even in wide shots you're getting just the crazy little details of his acting and gestures and indifference yeah. and um has just so deeply committed that you don't care he's a german playing a spaniard yeah, yeah. um that's then giving his dialogue in german dubbed um you just and there's lots of um yeah, nuances of the film in terms of the various relationships that came out this time. but And also, they've all been really beautiful transfers of old hmm. films. I mean, Aguirre, you know, was a 16 mil film from the 70s, and so yeah. it's always going to look a bit grainy. And, you know, the, they're in the middle of the Amazon, and they're walking through the mud, and so there's just, you know, half the shots have crap on the lens. Yeah, so yeah. it's never going to look Dang. pristine. I'll tell you what did look pristine is the new and reputedly final um, Hayao Miyazaki film, oh, yeah. uh, The Wind Rises, which, wow, uh, is now playing in a limited run in theaters and Bridgeway in Auckland and the Lighthouse Cuba in Wellington, hopefully, by the time we get this online, that's still yeah. the case. And it is very much worth everybody's time. It is so... Yeah, universally um, good reports on that. Yeah, it's not a kid's film. It's not... Uh, it's yeah i mean uh, and i say that with no disrespect because my neighbor totoro mm. is one of my favorite films if not my favorite film of all time mm. but um it's a kid's film that just happens to transcend that yeah. where um this is a much more serious-minded film yeah. about having a dream to build something beautiful and that kind of artistic passion colliding with the realities yeah. Yeah. of uh the fact that you're building a machine for war, war. and uh, I've only seen the subtitled version. I'd love to see the dubbed version, which actually features Werner Herzog's voice in a bit. <laughs> yeah, someone said that. As well as um, the usual uh, Ghibli all-star cast. So yeah, of of the four, I managed to catch you know f four out of four on one level or another, and certainly nothing that I wish I hadn't seen. Yeah. Um, you know, and even you know, uh, definitely worth everybody's 
time, and hopefully this will be a continu- continual autumn tradition um, yeah, of getting to enjoy some of these on the uh, big screen where they deserve to live. So yeah, I know that you haven't been able to get out of the house much as much. No, so no. We've, we've sort of prepared a, a different idea to kind of talk about what what each of us have been watching since our viewing hasn't overlapped that much. But yeah, try to do five films in five minutes. Let's see if we can make that happen. Okay, you go first. All right. So um, uh, so the first one I'm going to mention is a little known film that uh, kicked kicked around a couple of years ago i think it's 2012 was when he put it out it's called crazy and thief it's like an ultra low budget independent film by Corey mccabby which people uh, people might remember him from uh the american astronaut was the big film that he did um stingray sam as well stingray yeah. sam yeah. which was kind of like a serial that he put out over the web and released on dvd and what have you yeah. um, american astronaut seems to be the one that has the most fans I yeah yeah it, i mean so it's a fantastic kind of musical sci-fi a gritty independent film it was very very cool anyway he, this one he did uh, crazy and thief stars his two children is shot handheld on the streets in new york where they're from um wandering around neighborhoods with a couple of um actors that he's used before gregory russell cook who was an american astronaut mm. And it basically, it tells a little fable that's loosely based on the Odyssey, I guess, um, but from a child's perspective, and it really is from a child's perspective. You've got these children who are wandering the streets, seeing little symbols in everyday street signs or in the trash or on sides of walls, and interpreting them as, as a kind of a quest for them, and then just roaming around. So in one sense, it's kind of like a... It's almost like a cute home video, but at the same time, there's a, you know a couple more layers to it than that, and it's, um, it yeah, it's a, an interesting piece, and and I guess it's something that he's done on a, on a very low budget, and that was something that he really wanted to work with, and he, he's he used his daughter Willa in Stingray Sam as right. the kid in that, and so this one he's got his her and then her younger brother who's like basically a little toddler i mean he might be two or three so he really is just roaming as a kid and all of the adults in it are sort of viewed as these strange dangerous beasts regardless of whether they seem to be being friendly or not um yeah it's an interesting little thing but he released it um free for people to view on vimeo um and download actually That's great. At, at pretty reasonable quality as of sort of late march this year so um so crazy and thief look it up on vimeo um because you won't get a chance to see it on big screen i, I doubt yep. unless you and it's free so yeah well, yeah we sample it yeah it's i'll pretty sample cool. it i haven't checked it out at all another one that i saw recently was a documentary again um i think from 2012 called or maybe 2013 um called pussy and putin um and it's kind of i guess uh, a lower budget lesson on I think it's like 70 or 80 minutes um, doco um, that mirrors um, the same sort of stuff as um, Pussy Rider, Punk Prayer. But this, it seems to be shot by friends of theirs. They're, um, the, it's credited as Gogol's Wives, anonymous filmmakers. Um, right. And they're an art collective who I think Pussy Rider's associated with because all of the stuff is handout video from when they first started getting in the media over in Russia, and it's like shot on on scene with them. Some stuff when they were in jail, in jail with them, so it really is right up in in the action. Interesting little piece. I mean, there's lot not a lot of I guess filmmaking artistry to it because it is so so much as what yeah. my friends were shooting on the yeah. camera phones. Yeah, pretty whatever. much. Yeah. But it it just it gets right in there, and to some degree, it kind of 
cut some of the mystique about the band um, and that, you know, they've got quite a big um, presence in the media yeah. uh, over the last while and, and some of the things that they've done, again, look kind of low budget or, you know, they don't look that bad. But we, I guess when you see what the um, what the consequences of doing what would be a bit of an art project maybe in the States or here are uh, in how Russia is at the moment under Putin, realise that it's a lot more serious. Um, yeah. And then you see them put in jail and, and um, gear taken off them and, and they've got no money to be able to replace the little amp that they bought and stuff like that. And so for people who've seen the first one, is is it worth seeing this one as well? Or is it kind yeah, of a bit I, the same water twice? To a degree, yes, but I, I think probably the fact that it's so sort of close in there makes it fairly interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's worth a look, I think. Okay. But I wouldn't sort of hold your breath for something cinematically fantastic. Right. Third thing that I've seen was a little more sort of cinematic is um, Filth, the adaptation of the Irvine Welsh novel. So that's the um, the guy who uh, wrote Trainspotting and what have yeah. you. Uh, and that stars James McAvoy in, in a fantastic role, actually. I think he probably deserved some acting plaudits for it. I think it hasn't released in the states yet, so I think it may be one of those. Oh, okay, yeah. That's um because I saw I actually saw it last November in um, critic screening, and then it came sort of came yeah. out here yeah. from theaters pretty quickly. But um, um and I, I really enjoyed it. It's got a, a kind of a surreal quality to it, a, a little like how Train Spotting has some surreal moments mm. to it, but it's it lives in that space a lot more. And uh, I guess it's just the kind of story of a of a of a guy who's living in a slightly twisted reality due to events in his life and not being able to deal with them. Um, and he, But he's a cop, and so he's like kind of a crooked, slightly crooked cop. Yeah. And, you know, takes bribes and a little bit like, you know, bad lieutenant sort, yeah. of, sort of styles. But um, it's, very, it's very sort of bad lieutenant meets train spotting. Yeah, kind yeah, of, uh, yeah. But I think, I, think, I think it's an interesting kind of... It's not like a standard cop movie, and it doesn't sort of play out like that. And I think James McAvoy's mm. performance is pretty good. You got um, a couple of support performances, not too bad. Jamie Bell and a couple of others. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I, I, I quite yeah. enjoyed it's it. It's definitely diverting, and um, yeah. yeah, I kind of, without giving too much away, I kind of uh, found uh, yeah, there's sort of an emotional twist at the end where I kind of went one way, and then mm. the film kind of said, "Yeah, fuck you," and I kind of. I, I didn't relate to that as much on a first screening, but then again, it's also the point. And it yeah. was, um, I, I can you? I forgot on who the director is. Um, I don't I, think it's, it's not. It's not anybody um, particularly well known. But yeah. it was. Um, it's actually. Uh, it's nowhere near as visually pyrotechnic as like uh, Train Spot. No, something like that. Although there are some nice moments. Yeah, but um, yeah, it seems um, a lot more contained in terms of the st- like um, the sets well, and, the, yeah. and, the, and the places where it plays out. Are yeah. Pretty, and, and I think that actually helps a bit because mm. it sort of grounds it a bit more in the yeah. performances and the characters instead of getting mm. so out there that mm. it, it's a bit OTT. Okay, um, next thing that I saw um, that I wanted, th- which was very mainstream, was Muppets Most Wanted. I am dying to see this. I am not even joking. Really? I I, I love the Muppets so much, and the f- I, like the last one, the well, well, just, just the whole. Oh, like, the like I saw Muppets, Muppets Treasure Island yeah, yeah. in the theater when I was twenty. <laughs> I mean, if that, you know, even when I was supposed to be cooler than the Muppets, oh, yeah. you know, now I'm just not even pretending. Yeah. Um, th- my problem with the last one was yeah. that they made the mistake of thinking we were just as interested in two human characters that we've never met before oh, yeah. as we were in the Muppets. Yeah. And so that was my big disappointment with it, but I still really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, how's this one compare? Uh, well, I guess it in some ways is 
gets a little tied bogged down i guess and like it, it completely overplays the whole cameo aspect with uh, lots of people popping up masses of references but i love that stuff often right. and so i kind of dug that I, I preferred it i think i mean this is second james bowman outing and he's sort of known because of his flight of the concord stuff i guess right um they've got the whole flight team on this this time so last time brett mckenzie won his oscar or whatever mm. for original songwriting for that um this time Brett McKenzie does the songs and they don't maybe stick out as much this time but Jermaine Clements is actually acting in it this time and he's okay. he's got a quite a nice little role um, and they've got like he, he plays in a, in a bunch of prisons with like Danny Trejo and a few others Danny Trejo yeah, and yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah man yeah wow <laughs> that's pretty cool encourage those kids to go watch Machete when they're done <laughs> <laughs> and um, so th- there's a whole lot of really cool references in there um, and some really funny ones um, for adult watchers um, I thought a lot of it would would spin past my kids who were there like three and five but uh, they surprisingly came out with a lot of it afterwards like okay. they were acting out bits of it and and um they really liked it they um i could one of the things is that it's a relatively simple storyline but they pack in so many references so many kind of homage things um, and and then the songs almost seem like they're just some of them put in there for a bit of a, a bit of a laugh you know, here's a line or an idea that we want to spin off and put a song on it that doesn't really sort of tie into the story. So for yeah. me, the story kind of gets lost a little bit and all that. Yeah. But the kids actually seem to kind of not lose it, which was um, <laughs> which was surprising to me. Um, and, and, you know... Well, I mean, you think about it, I think we often overview, overvalue, like, the value of a linear plot. But yeah. if you think about how kids tell stories, yeah. they don't usually have concise focused plot yeah you yeah. know and they're all and they're just like here's some cool stuff i like and here's some cool st- yeah. stuff i like you know because of that i actually thought it held together better and, and in terms of um the human characters tina fey has absolutely the worst russian accent i've heard in a long time <laughs> um and she was okay but i actually quite like gervais in it uh, much more than i like oh see i've even sort of blocked out his name who played the the human brother in the first one jason seagal jason seagal yeah. yeah i wasn't particularly interested in his sort of arc yeah yeah um but ricky gervais he plays up the kind of the well, ricky gervais is a villain i assume yeah yeah he plays Why it, else would he you plays it, he yeah. plays a dodgy villain and he does what he does pretty well you know they work that and it works yeah so i i, I quite enjoyed it i think i think you like it okay yeah. cool Try to get that in after I get in the Lego movie, which I've been hearing better things about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen the Lego movie, but I'd be keen to see that. Um, and the last one I've got here is uh, Captain Phillips, which I finally saw after sort of missing it last year or whenever it was sort of floating out. I caught it on DVD. Yeah, that was pretty good. Greengrass, I'm not that hot on his stuff generally. Um, you mean because of the shaky cam style? or? Uh, yeah, a little bit. He did one of the, Didn't he do one of the Bourne movies? Uh, he did, I think... The second one? The second one and the third one. Yeah, and that was like... Yeah. Uh, the action scenes in that I just found all over the place and yeah. and, and a little off-putting. Um, he also did United 93, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, that was all right. Bloody Sunday. Oh, which, yeah. yeah. Uh, was where I first knew him from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, United 93 I didn't mind. But this one, this one was really nice. A nice, concise story. Having seen a hijacking at festival last year, um, I was kind of interested to see how they played out because um, a hijacking really didn't get much play from critics overseas versus Captain Phillips, which yes. everyone was raving about. I think I prefer um, a hijacking um, as films go, but they, they are quite different stories despite the Somali pirate scene. One is more about the negotiation um, process and, and, a, and a drawn out experience of and how that works whereas this one is obviously a, uh, quite a tight storyline that happens folds out a, 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 over three days I think or something like that <laughs> or two days 
And yeah, yeah, I think um, Hanks did a pretty good job. And uh, what's this? Barcode Abbey. Abbey. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He, he, he did a pretty reasonable job. I, 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 it's pretty. I found it. I found it reasonably. It's a, it's a pretty kinda, hedgy uh, praise yeah. that you're giving it. It's not like go see this. I'm not getting this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it's certainly not something that I'd. I'd, I'd rush out and go, oh, that's, you know, just fantastic storytelling. It's, pr- it's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Well, um, having, having watched neither hijacking movie, um, which which one should I watch first? Um, watch first? Oh, if you're going to do both of them, I'd maybe watch Captain Phillips first and then a hijacking afterwards. And if I'm only going to do one? I'd do a hijacking. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm confident that was more than five minutes, but that's yeah. okay. There's no... Uh, punitive measures on this um <laughs> i've mostly picked old films i'm um I'm, i'll mention in passing that i've seen a few um new releases which in uh from m- must recommend to must avoid uh <laughs> grand budapest hotel love yep. probably my favorite wes anderson live action since rushmore oh yeah kind of just synthesizes everything he's been doing in all his films yep. and brings in ray fines who manages to somehow be the actor that has been missing from every Wes Anderson film oh. as somebody who just who doesn't have the sort of sarcastic, cynical edge and somehow captures something that really brings you into this character who still yeah. does his awful things yeah. as a lot of his other characters does. But you just there's not that kind of slight distance that you have yeah. from him that you do with so many of his other characters. Yeah, yeah. And then not as good as that, but worth a look is uh, Tracks, the uh, Mia Wasikowska film oh, about yeah, yeah. Um, the ex- the uh, woman who walked across Australia in the 70s. Oh, okay, and it yeah, was yeah. documented for National Geographic. Um, she gives an amazing performance, and it's yeah. a story that I really... Um, found myself quite drawn into um in she's terms, all over the place these last sort of five years yeah she's she's, she's i mean between stoker and all yeah. the lovers left alive and yeah. this um and she just disappears into the world for me i i wonder of, how many people kind of don't realize that she's australian yeah well this is i remember with my girlfriend seeing, and she was like that was that's the first time i've heard her in her actual accent years ago yeah. and i actually really liked her in a little um a little place called Suburban Mayhem that had okay. uh, Emily Barclay and yes, New Zealand. I've heard of, yeah, I've yeah. heard of that, but never seen it. But yeah. um, this one is let a little bit down by the direction, I think. Obviously, mm. like there's lots of great stuff that happens in the desert, but there tends to be a bit more of like, like you get to day one and it's like four shots and then it's like day 28 yeah. and it, meeting up and it's like kind of devoted a bit too much to the incidents um, rather than the long chunks of being by oneself in the desert and yeah i kind of wanted the three hour really austere jerry yeah. version where you get lost in the physicality and also some kind of lowest common denominator stuff where it's like they kind of did either re-edited stuff or put brought back lines or things to remind us of things we've been told 45 minutes ago because oh, yeah. we've probably forgotten them but still despite some of those hedges the performance in the story is so strong that i really enjoyed it fading jiggle which i just saw tonight mm. um actually kind of a pleasant uh for its first 45 minutes i really was enjoying it on a muted sort of this is this is something i'd strongly recommend as a rental kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> level you know um basically um john Turturro plays a guy who works at a bookstore and woody allen is his boss there shutting it down oh. and somehow Woody Allen's doctor is Sharon Stone and apparently Sharon Stone wants to have a threesome with her and her friend Sofia Vergara and because we live in a movie she has to pay to have this happen rather than have and she and and somehow John Turturro is the best that she can get um and and the first 45 minutes is is actually quite this light sort of 
slice of lifey kind of following it on lots of kind of seemingly improv heavy scenes possibly written but um just having that sort of light feel of banter and bits of john Turturro switching from bookstore employees slash florist into gigolo life and then the plot kind of intrudes and needs to be resolved and it all gets a bit messy and cumbersome but um i did i did quite like it um in a sort of three-star kind of way and you you said that was directed by deterrent it is directed by deterrent yeah uh written and directed yeah Mm. and and beautifully shot and he he definitely um there's a couple scenes where he seems to fumble a bit with the line but um in sort of group shots but Mm. um there's some nice quite nice compositions Mm. and and movements and stuff as well um you know uh so formally not too bad and uh but just a bit lightweight in certain ways and and also when uh vanessa paradis's character shows up who plays Mm. a sephardic jew who's been widowed the movie just slows to molasses it's like you know you've kind of had this rapid fire banter all this stuff and there's what feels like a 15-minute scene all of a sudden with her at his house. And it's just like these long pauses between every word. And then you cut to John Turturro and he's looking. For <laughs> it. And just like the film's only 90 minutes, so it's not like... I mean, maybe they just felt like they needed to keep all that in. To maybe do it, he had her, only had it for a day or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But, um, man, it was just... Um, you can, I mean, you can kind of make sense of it, but mm. yeah. Um, worse than that is Transcendence, which... Oh, uh, uh, yes, the new is, uh, sci-fi. Yeah, which is by um, Wally Pfister, who oh, yeah. is most famous as Christopher Nolan's DOP. Yeah. And there's this kind of Nolan-esque sort of edge to it. You've got a lot of his regular cast. Yeah. Um, you know, Rebecca Hall, who was in The Prestige, Cillian yeah. Murphy, uh, Morgan Freeman. You know, you're just kind of... And then... Um, then Johnny Depp's joined us for this, and um, but it's just it's just humorless and confused and dumber than a bag of hammers, and <laughs> not um, and doesn't have amazing enough set pieces to justify it. Yeah, um, that's the short of it. And then Noah, which was just a disaster. Well, anyway, um, interesting. No, I mean it's been getting kind of mixed, quite extreme reviews from both ends overall. I thought. Yeah. Well, here's uh, okay. So. The possible defense against Noah, yeah. and I think I think what some people have said, is that there's a lot of interesting ideas in it. And it's like, well, yeah, there's about a million ideas in it that are sort of hinted at and quickly abandoned. Yeah. So if you want to... And there's a couple really strong images. There are a few um, images that will stick with me. Yeah. Aronofsky, I, I've seen all his films, you know, liked Pi uh, a lot. Um, liked Requiem for a Dream, although it hasn't. I haven't had a real strong desire to revisit it. Cause yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah. yeah, and then the Fountain. I thought that was a mess. And then really liked the Wrestler. Really liked the Black Swan. And that was kind of him doing these studio projects to yeah, kind yeah. of build up his credibility after the Fountain was kind of con- perceived as a failure. And then he's done that to again do this crazy personal project that he's been conceived of since high school, and it's just really overcooked and. Yeah. He's brought in all this stuff that contravenes the biblical story, which I I don't intrinsically mind. I mean, I yeah. can I can understand people taking umbrage at it, and I I mean, you know, I've I've seen people be snarky on Twitter. It's like, oh well, they're adding fiction to a fictional story. It's like, well, yeah, if we add stormtroopers to your Star Trek movie, let's see how you <laughs> like it. But 
Yeah, it's just like it's just like he wanted to make this creepy movie about incest all of a sudden. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Or and like kind of it's just like this kind of aggregation of all these ideas of somebody being stoned for a year in his dorm room watching a lot of Terrence Malick and Peter Jackson films and deciding to and Ingmar Bergman and deciding to Mission wrap them all up and yeah, I I was just I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll maybe I've missed the point and maybe I'll come back to it but i felt pretty confident at the end of it that it was just a film that didn't really even its defenders have said things like oh it still still feels like a film that's not finished that it's trying to figure out what it yeah. wants to be and i i think there is probably some elements to that i know there are some major production difficulties sorry i just talked for five minutes about five films that aren't on my list I, um give oh uh, you know what i'll just um give those super heads up. Um, I've been doing Wellington Film Society, and the highlight yep. of that was revisiting Nicholas Rogue's Eureka, his oh, yeah. um, early 80s uh, riff on Citizen Kane with uh, Gene Hackman and Rutger Hauer what and the uh, hell? Uh, Joe Pesci. Um, it's fantastic, yeah. and it's it's very elliptical in sort of Nic- classic Nicholas Rogue yeah. style, but um, there's something really... Great and odd um, mesh of cast. Yeah, and and it throws a lot of people because the last third or so is a courtroom scene, and um, a lot of people have said it should end before that. But actually, mm. there's I've fallen in love with that courtroom scene upon repeat viewings. Um, can't really talk about it without spoiling it, but um, it's a really overlooked uh, Nicholas Rogue film. You know, I mean, he did Walk About and yeah. uh, Don't Look Now, and yeah. Um, even bad timings got the Criterion release, but I, I think Eureka sort of slid under the tracks, and that's a bit unfortunate. Marcel Mastriani double feature, uh, La Notte, which is um, a classic Antonioni yeah. film that I hadn't seen before that sits between uh, La Ventura and Le Clis, um, and is a really powerful portrait of about 20 hours in the life of a married couple. He's an author. Mm. Um, she uh has kind of put up with him for a while um there's sort of a i mean i sort of joke that it's called before and after midnight because it sort of starts um at this book release and then kind of goes on and has that kind of time capsule of a couple kind of quality to it um very um some very beautiful moments not quite as elliptical as something like lecleese or even la ventura but um, something still very powerfully cinema of alienation mm. and some beautiful passing moments. It's probably been my favorite discovery of an old classic of the year. To go from the sublime to the freak out crazy, the tenth victim is also has Marcello in it with um, Ursula Andress from Doctor No. Now the tenth victim is basically sort of a proto Hunger Games battle oh, royale, most have, dangerous. When's it from? Sixties, uh, okay. um, yeah. and well, but Andress, super yeah. Technicolor, and um, you know it starts out with like. Um, this chase going on and these people break into this room where this this guy comes into this room and there's this strip tease going on and then suddenly the guns come out of the bra doctor um austin power style and shoot him and um this isn't even close to the craziest thing that happens in the film um you know there's this whole it's the future and you kill people and if you kill enough people you yeah. you get lots of awards um series seven i think was another recent one that uh, uh, used that conceit um the director is Ilio petri who also did a giallo film called the house with the laughing windows which is crazy um and yeah so he's he's got a um he's got a track record yeah yeah and um i, I his films 
all have a really delirious sense of style about them. And so I think for that kind of Sounds viewer. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we're on sort of the exploitation topic, uh, rituals, uh, which is, had been mooted to me by a couple people as a really classic film worth seeing. And um, I do have a soft spot for these films where you see the actors in nature just suffering. Um, yeah. There's like a Russian film called Letter Never Sent that um, you watch half the film thinking, how did the cast survive this? And yeah. um, Rituals has a similar quality to it where I'm just like, these guys are spending half this film freaking wet, walking... The, basically, the plot is a group of doctors go on this backwoods camp yeah. uh, outing and get dropped off and they'll get picked up a week later and um, they wake up the next day after their first night camping and um, their hiking boots are stolen. It's obvious that somebody's messing with them and it gets real dark real quickly and there's a lot of acting. Uh, my my theory is that the reason everybody was willing to like stumble through the water, fall unsimulated yeah. onto the onto rocks, and like do all these horrific things is because they got to have these really meaty scenes where they yelled at each other a lot. And yeah. There's lots of big close ups of yelling, but it is um, for people who kind of like a grimy, you know, southern, you know, backwoods thriller. It, it does it delivers the goods, and it's. Uh, worth checking out uh last um uh, the new zealand film archive uh shows obviously a lot of um, yeah. classic new zealand yeah. films and they recently in conjunction with a uh exhibit at city gallery related to the springbok tour screen patu now yeah very briefly for awesome. our non-kiwi listeners the springbok tour happened in 1980 Two, and that yeah. was the South African rugby team yeah. coming to New Zealand at the height of apartheid. Extensive civil unrest, like bombs let off. Yeah, yeah and, a lot of protests. People, um, um, expressways and, being shut down. Yeah, and, and people protesting the rugby, which was like, and particularly back then, even yeah. well more so than now, was just central to the um, national consciousness in New Zealand. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was incredibly divisive. I mean... The footage of riots is, um, and it, it's something that I was a little kid, and I yeah. have memories of that whole time. Where, where, where were you living at that time? In um, I no, I would have been in um, Gisborne still. Okay. Yeah, because um, yeah, there were a couple games shut down, and there was others where um, protesters were violently assaulted. And mm. near the end, there were like, you know, literally on the streets of Auckland, yeah. like these. Um, because I one of the things. I mean, basically, Patu is a documentary of the resistance operation from early on gathering signatures trying to stop the tour yeah. all the way to the last game at Eden Park in Auckland. Yeah. And what's in, what's great about the film is that it's not all rah-rah. Um, it, it doesn't flinch away from some of the darker aspects mm-hmm. of the resistance yeah. and, and leave some open questions while still being largely a fly-on-the-wall mm. documentary that is one-sided so to speak, and then yeah. you don't you don't ever spend any time in the police headquarters. Yeah. You don't spend any time with those people. The only time you see people who are, you know, supporting the tour when you run into them on the street. And, of mm. course, time has kind of given us the thing of, like, well, who would be, you know, yeah. supporting apartheid? You know, yeah, at a distance, yeah. it's, it seems very peculiar. And so you kind of have this sympathy. But at the same time, it's clear as it goes on that the... Um, the protest movement is attracting people who want to get a swing in at a cop, yeah, you yeah. know, and are attracted to the civil unrest that's happening yeah. as a result of that. So 
Um, it's a very nuanced document, great piece of observation. Technically, at points, uh, it gets let down a bit by sound and or, I mean, there's uh, there's a Murata Mita directed it, but um, I think there were contributions from filmmakers all over the country. Yeah. And so I think part of that democratic process is including, for instance, footage from a Christchurch protest that's at night that's very badly lit. Yeah. Um, but uh, by and large, it's it's really compelling and an important piece of New Zealand history. And also something I think that anybody that's interested in protest or resistance movement is worth looking at. And it's available online for free mm. from uh, the New Zealand On Screen site. So yeah. uh, definitely... Uh, if it sounds remotely up your alley, worth checking out because all you have to lose is your time. Yeah. And it's a really interesting piece of uh, history, even from people who aren't here, who think that New Zealand is sort of this bucolic place with some beautiful mountains that we feature in Lord of the Rings, and that's the beginning and the end of uh, politics here. Yeah, so we did manage to sneak in a couple movies that both of us have seen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you want to speak to one of those? Okay, yeah, so um, Raid 2. Yes. Um, dropped last month? Uh, March 27th, I think. Yeah, yeah, so not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it does seem like a while ago. So yeah, I, I, uh, and I didn't, even, I didn't even go to a preview for that, I don't think. I, I um, got to that not long after it dropped. Um, yeah, March 20th, maybe, anyway. Now, I, I, know, I know a lot of people um, locally have responded with a bit of um, disappointment. Like, one of the things that the raid was... Definitely was like a uh, like a adrenaline shot in the arm yeah. in terms of action films and, and martial arts films because I mean aside from being a, a sort of a, a new setting and a new style of martial art it was just so stripped back mm. and simple conceit yeah and you just had this kind of very visceral experience that was um, you know it didn't have it had a storyline that made sense but it was just it didn't let story get in. Yeah, get in the way. It's one day, one location, yeah. 15 floors, yeah. a bajillion bad guys, yeah. got to get to the top of the building. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, 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 it's like, like, it plays like a video game, basically. Levels yeah. going through the um, levels of a, of a platform video game. Yeah. But um, the Raid 2 um, starts at the end of the Raid. You don't need to have seen the previous film, but it you know it helps to have some yeah. setting context or whatever. But then it just blows out that entire world into its sort of more... Um, complex criminal network and has a much more complex story and a plot that sort of circles around a bit more and i think a lot of people didn't dig that but i really did um, so you prefer it to the first one i think i it's hard for me to to decide but i think i might right. uh, i think if i went back and watched them several times i think i would prefer the second one yeah it's interesting because i would probably classify myself as somebody who's is one of these people that you're talking about that feels yeah. like you know some people make a sequel to the film, yeah. th- their first film, and they kind of do the same thing again. Yeah. This one, it's like you take this film that was one day, you know, has all the Aristotelian yeah, yeah. unities, and suddenly, you know, ten minutes into it, you get a two years later title card. Yeah, and yeah. Like, wow, and it's and it's going for um, you know this sort of Godfather Part Two kind of almost epic sweep, yeah. and it's really like, did anyone really care about the raid mythology? We cared about this like dense. You know, it's like when people talk about that, like, oh, the characters in that moment, they're like, that thing when the guy got, you know, the light bulb and the <laughs> jugular, you know, the, yeah. the door frame, you know, those yeah, yeah, yeah. moments. Um, his, I'll, one thing I will say about The Raid 2 is his ability with craft and also, mm. like, the quality of the images. I mean, The Raid almost seemed like it was shot on consumer DV or yeah. postage stamps or something. Yeah. It was very um, grainy image-wise. Yeah. And there's a the fight scenes 
are still there's still probably an hour an hour worth of great fight scenes and yeah. one in particular um, near the end in the kitchen that maybe yeah. the best one of the, it's one of the best fight scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, but there's there's just sort of a sheer um, for me a sheer gratuitousness to a lot of that. I don't mean that in a moralistic offensive yeah, yeah. offended way, although I could see that. But there's you know kind of yeah yeah I just I just felt like it was a bit too much of a good thing and a kind of a desire to overextend itself. And I didn't think that um, Gareth Hugh Evans directorial control in terms of pacing of some of those dialogue scenes and things oh, yeah. like that was as strong as his control in those fight scenes which yeah. are all really indelible and yeah. you know i guess you know the be- the best hour and a half of the raid 2 i would say is better than the raid yeah but then there's another hour, hour yeah and and i would agree that it could be yeah. cut down yeah a little bit personally i, I wouldn't I like I like the length that it is, but right. I, I could see that it could be compressed and. I saw it quite it. late at night as well, yeah. so that might have made some play the into break, it as well. The biggest, um, what it reminded me of, the raid two more more so than just the raid was like a mesh of his first of the first film with that sensibility of more recent Korean revenge films that have mm. been quite complex, um, and probably the the one that most. Um, sort of rings for me is um, the Yellow Sea. Ah, oh, yes, uh, yeah. which I really liked. It had a sort of a complex web of character. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, characters of um, of of plot lines of bad guys who possibly weren't bad guys and and groups that kind of were at at odds but then how it resolved was kind of an interesting thing um and i really like the scope on that and then but how it sort of also stuck to one man's sort of threading his way through that and the raid 2 reminded me of that in terms of its construction but yeah with a very sort of definitive fighting style i mean there was a few things tacked onto it like um there was the whole kind of Tarantino-esque um, characterization of the Hammer Girl, Hammer Girl, and, yeah. and the and the baseball bat dude. It's interesting that you bring up the Korean films because what actually I was thinking a lot of is like Japanese Yakuza films. Oh yeah, one of the films that we haven't talked about that you'd seen recently was Outrage Beyond. Yeah, Beyond the, Outrage, um, yeah, the sequel to yeah. Outrage. Uh, but there's also um, the sort of the daddy of that film, which is the five series. Uh, uh, five film series of the Yakuza Papers by Kenji yeah. Fukusaku, um, who did those in the 70s. Yeah. And, you know, it's his sort of Byzantine um, one family kills somebody and it gets, yeah, yeah. Gets start, start a business against another family. And then there's this, and, you know, like, there was this great box set that came out of it that had a map of all the families oh, yeah, to yeah. do that. So it'd be like, you know, this kind of like densely plotted series of backstabbings mostly mm. designed as an excuse to um, orchestrate scenes of extreme violence, oh, which yeah. has then was sort of then picked up by Takeshi Kitano and yeah, yeah. Um, that. And you even have the Japanese mob coming into yeah, the yeah, raid. Yeah, yeah, and the raid too. Um, yeah. As well as the Indonesian mob. So I, I, that was sort of the... The two key thing. families, yeah. Yeah, that was the thing to me. But, like, you know, with, like, the Fukusaka movies, for instance, there's this um, really, you know, it's just such a dense and Byzantine web that it gets you really interested, whereas this was kind of neither fish nor fowl as far as that for me. I mean, I, I still I still, I still, really liked it. I would definitely recommend it. I'm going to see The Raid 3, but I, I'm secretly hoping that when The Raid 3 drops that it's a running time of under two hours yeah and that he kind of concentrates best strengths i mean yeah. you know obviously like things like seeing him ha- um handle like a car chase with yeah. you know in car you know yeah, yeah martial fighting, arts yeah. and things like that and and 
you know, kind of really expanding his skill set as an action director was yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Definitely work a lo- worth a look. And, yeah, for yeah. me, it, it worked. And uh, for you, not so much. Well, yeah, I, mean, well, worked, yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I still yeah. probably would give it, like, three and a half stars kind yeah, of yeah. thing. So, um, and, yeah, definitely, like, an absolute must-see for anybody who wants to see the best one of the best action scenes ever made. Yeah. You know? Um, it's just... It's just a film that, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth. In yeah. your case, you like the rough, so yeah, that wasn't yeah. so hard. Um, speaking of taking the rough, Inside Lewin Davis. Ah, uh, yeah, so Coen Brothers, um, little sort of New York fable of the folk folk period. Yeah. I love that film. I, I mean, I love a lot of the Coen stuff, and that's got to be one of my favorites. I mean, having seen that and then having subsequently seen a lot more of the Oscar nominees and what have you. Yeah. Um, that film, hands down, takes it for me. Oscar Isaac, who I've, I've liked since I, I saw him in a uh, film, Rachel Weisz, sort of vehicle called Agora, which was, yeah, it was all right. Um, but he was pretty good. Um, has been in some interesting stuff. He was like um, the the husband in prison and drive. Um, oh, yeah. Standard, I think was his name. But, yeah, he was Carrie Mulligan's... Uh, husband who had been in prison and came back and yeah had that kind of weird encounter and ended up having to be kind of pulled out of his dire straits by ryan gosling's character yeah um yeah he, he's been some interesting stuff in it, and it was great to see him in a lead role and he was fantastic one of the things i really liked about it um and I'm, i have no sense of how you came off with it and when should i talk about that yeah um because uh, this is actually this will get us a bit diverted but that's fine i have a really strange experience with this film because i saw it in new caledonia uh i was visiting at the mm. end of november because i was doing research for this novel that i'm yep. going to school to write right now uh, that's in part set there mm. and um but it was several months before it came out in new zealand and i yeah. decided to go check it out uh and new, new caledonia of course is a french-speaking territory yeah um but they occasionally have like subtitled things at cinecity which is the yeah. only cinema it's like a 12 screen thing oh yeah uh and so i watched the whole thing with french subtitles and um which is it's quite i've had done this a couple times where yeah. i've been in foreign countries and you watch a film that's in your native language yeah I've, and I've you're so used to kind of like doing the scan down to the subtitles yeah and that so kind of there's a little bit of a barrier put in yeah. and so um so I, you know i'm watching it and i i thought like well it didn't quite emotionally but i'm like oh this is an interesting film i kind of want to process it it what's the significance of the cat being ulysses yeah, of course yeah. you know they've done oh brother where yeah, yeah, thou, yeah. which is yeah. another music film that has based on ulysses myth yeah. um you know you, there's obviously a lot of rich stuff going on um on a first screening the the bruno del bonnell photography didn't kick with me the way a lot of the roger deacons photography yeah. has on other films although a lot of plenty of people have loved the photography of this film uh, and it's probably true to what they wanted to as a vision Mm. anyway i'm in numia and my hotel is about six kilometers south so i try to get a cab and i ask the people at the theater to call one for me and they do but it doesn't show up and then one shows up but they're like no we're picking somebody else up but they're in front they say that in french and it's all really complicated and it leaves without me and then it's the next to last movie to get out and the last movie is the hunger Games sequel and just as it's getting out this presumably homeless guy comes up and i don't know if this is like the one guy in new caledonia who does this or if this is a thing but as they're coming out he drops his pants and sort of is like holding them below genitals level but above above knee level with one hand and holding out his hand begging with the other hand 
and thoroughly debasing himself in order Mm. to get that and then like i'm like oh my god and then these people are going to believe and i'm going to stuck with this guy who even like you know taking cultural norms aside doesn't seem right in the head yeah um thankfully he kind of ignores me and wanders away after it but then they're starting to pack up the theater i'm like i don't know how i'm going to get home there's no taxis anywhere and um and i talk talk to them and finally one of them winds up giving me a ride home and he's getting a ride home from his mom and his sister and we're in the back seat and nobody speaks that good of English but yeah. you know and I don't speak I speak terrible French yeah. um, but we're sort of trying and you know finally you know um, he's like oh Obit I'm like Obits Obit The Hobbit yes yes the J'adore le Obit and uh, so yeah so all, all of which is a long way of saying that I didn't really get sort of the processing time yeah, yeah. and so I'm kind of like well that was sort of interesting I'll give it another look but it's a film that's really stuck with me and mm. one of the really um, I mean you know that I had a friend die a few months back mm. and um, yeah. reading the writing about the film one of the things that very few people seem to pick up or talk about is that it's really a film about grief Hmm. And, you know, there's this kind of, oh, he's kind of an asshole. It's like, dude, his musical partner committed suicide. Yeah. Like, you know, and he is completely adrift Hmm. and he gets, you know... I mean, without spoiling too much, but, you know, yeah. that um, scene with F. Murray Abraham where he yeah. finally gets his big audition. Yeah. And it references that, you know, yeah, yeah. event in a way. And it's just like, that was so emotionally powerful and heartbreaking yeah. and remains that. And I mean, lots of smart people, like the Dissolve did like a three writer, like mm. 15,000 word back and forth on it. And, you know, the word grief didn't come up once in it. I relate to the word grief on that, but not necessarily from that event. Right. Like, I I mean, that clearly, to me, was a shaping factor in where he's at. Mm-hmm. But I didn't sort of take that as the primary sort of thing. For me, one of the interesting things about that film, and, and the same, it just stuck with me. And But emotionally, it was such an emotionally resonant film for me, and it just stuck with me days and days afterwards I was thinking about it. Mm was that I don't think I've very often seen a film that essentially tracks the death of a dream. Mm, Because he is a creative person, and normally you get the kind of someone who's trying their guts out and and then something goes right and they make it or whatever, you know. It's the the making the dream. Whereas this is a guy who's had some measure of success, like with his partner or whatever, um, creative partner. That person's gone, he's trying to make it on his own. He's obviously got... A, a wide range of kind of friends and, and he's made it to a certain level and he's trying to make it work and it's just been slowly unraveling and slowly unra- and now he's at a point where he's basically cycling around this group of people wearing out his last welcome with everybody like he's got no yeah. money to live he's staying with people and yeah. there are certain people who will take him on board for a few days but you can, he's right at the end of all of those things and he's eventually having to suck up the idea that this is not going to work for me and he has yeah. to face his 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 dad who's you know who's losing his um going to Alzheimer's or whatever and and, and yeah and then it's like that whole thing where it's like oh I'll go work on a boat yeah yeah can't even he can't like, even do that, do that. But, yeah. but essentially he's kind of having to suck up this thing of this this is where mm. my heart is this is where my passion is this is where my dream is 
and deal with the bitterness of having to give that away and not wanting to kind of perform for people and so he's got those people who think he's still think he's fantastic but he, he gets really angry with them because he feels yeah. like they want to put him on show like a performing monkey you know and it's like and i think that's something that people have struggled with the film a lot because it's not a um it's not a happy story no no it's but also melancholy. like because the coens are often seen as caricaturists mm. in a way i think you know some people relate to it as or think of it as like as kind of a mean story and it's like well these are stories that are also they're true worth many telling, people yeah. you know and they're, they're more true than the positive yeah stories, yeah you because know? how many people will, like, you know yeah. that have like I, i've got friends who are artists or musicians or something you know who, who reach a certain level and they kind of eventually they get to a point where they know i've got to be happy with this because it's not it's not going any further yeah, or they. Yeah, or there's something that. Yeah, well, and, and you've got and you've got to make peace with that in yourself, and kind of go, okay, you know, maybe something else will come along, but, and, and then make decisions about what am I going to do with this? Do yeah. I do I throw it away? Do I try something else? Do I just keep going and make this a livable reality for me? How it is. Yeah, and I mean it's because I mean I I the interesting thing is I wonder how many people think when they watch Inside Lou and Davis. I mean I, some people have really loved the soundtrack, and I thought that like. His songs were okay, but they weren't like you know they they yeah, they're, yeah. They're, I and I mean it's not that I'm impartial to that form of music. It was just like I think it didn't really um, there wasn't something quite so special about them mm. for me, and I think that was quite intentional. Yeah, that it wasn't you know I didn't come out of the film saying hang me <laughs> you know yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. you know, and it's not that they're bad songs. Mm. It's just that they don't have that magic factor, but um. Yeah, I I think I think it's a really important film, the Coen Brothers thing, and it is really. I mean, it was a great year in terms of you know the Oscars actually yeah, recognizing yeah, a lot of really films, good yeah. films. You know, I mean, so and you know films that we haven't talked about like Her, yeah, and Twelve Years a Slave, uh, Twelve Years a Slave, that you know, and even you know Gravity, uh, and I just was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff wolf of wall street yeah. being recognized this year and um that was the one that sort of slipped through the cracks which yeah. in the scheme of things you know usually it's like this stuff that looks like risable crap that yeah. gets um chosen and a lot of the things that looked like oscar bait yeah. um, that i haven't seen to be fair like august osage county and saving yeah. mr banks yeah didn't get picked up this time yeah, yeah. and so um i can't be too hard on them especially with a film that i don't think is that audience friendly yeah but then again i'm not sure that no country for all men is that audience friendly, friendly yeah but at least it has you know sort yeah. of some acts of violence to kind of keep us uh yeah yeah on board that, that still remains the, the film that sort of grabbed me the most so far this year that i've seen mm. the third start of the year when so, it played here yeah there's a good choice um so that's kind of the past let's talk about the future a bit because yeah um, we've we, got we, we've got a couple months to get uh yeah reared up for a film festival yeah um and we've got can yeah well th- that's right yeah i mean i guess one of the great things about the new zealand film festival for those not in the know and who haven't heard us say this for two or three years yeah. right now is that um we're pretty close after yeah we're close after and so we get the usually the pick of the litter yeah um sydney's and, before us uh sydney's before us and, and we usually melbourne's about melbourne's contemporaneous yeah and so there is um and in fact i um surprise uh sneak inside info i saw um bill gosden going to um Aguirre the other day yeah. and uh, he mentioned that he was off to sydney to watch some films in a room with uh this the australian film festival people to the oh, side yeah, yeah. and so i think there's some collaboration there potentially oh, cool. in terms yeah. of what gets picked or what's not but certainly 
that's how they get shown in yeah. that. So um, it's interesting that for the second year in a row, one of my uh, most anticipated films is named Leviathan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, when I first heard that, I was thinking, have they got the wrong film title? Or? Yeah, that's no, uh, apparently uh, the uh, sensory ethnographic lab didn't make quite a hit as Russia. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Andrei Zygvanitsev. Um, have you seen? So, have you seen all his films? No, I've seen a couple of them. I've seen okay. um, the, the Return, Return and the Land. Land. Yeah, that's yeah. the same. I missed the Banishment as well, which I have on DVD. Um, the Return is, um, and I know you're much more of a fan of Russian film, yeah. in general, than I am. But um, the Return was sort of that sort of quintessential yeah. Russian film of a character study, yeah. That um, and a slow journey, beautifully shot. Colors yeah. on that were fantastic. Yeah, there there is at least two impossible shots in it that yeah. I don't know how I made. And this sort of um, slightly Ivan's childhood-esque Tarkovsky yeah. thing going on. Um, very just elemental, potent mm. storytelling. Um, very somber, yeah. but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And then Elena played at the fest a couple of years yeah. later, and that was interesting because that was of an upper-middle class. Yeah, uh, yeah, sort of different you but still um, a very similar uh, sort of cinematic rigor yeah. and... Um, Sensibility, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I'm... They're sort of directors that you're kind of like innocent till proven guilty, and I'm yeah. very much, uh, you know, he's earned all the goodwill points with I me. I haven't kept up with um, what Leviathan is going to be about. Well, but. the thing is, with that's one of the things that, unfortunately, we can't say with a lot of these films, because a lot of they them... They don't give them um, Yeah, and, and it's yeah. interesting, because on paper, you know, like last year, Cam, they had Blue is the Warmest Color, yeah. and they had Heli, and I think yeah. a couple other films that were quite young and beautiful, that yeah. were sexy and controversial, and yeah. all this. And on paper, at least, you know, the directors and the films don't look to be sort of of the provocateur yeah. variety that they've had. But we'll find out in practice. Yeah. You know, we'll get there and somebody or else will have done something to do that. But um, they all seem a bit potentially, you know, and that's just often will be the luck of the draw each year as to who's yeah. made something. You know, somebody like Savanitsev only makes a film every few years. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think he's a bit of a shoo-in for got to watch, really. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's an essential for me. Um, speaking of people who only make a film every th- few years, uh, Jean-Luc Godard, who is probably may, may have made his last film, although, you know, at 82 mm. or something like that, maybe he'll keep on going. Mm. But um, Goodbye to Language is uh, the most recent one that he's done. Yeah. And it's apparently in 3D, which I, you know, I'm just not even sure what to expect. He um, made one of my favorite films of, I think it was 04 or 05, uh, Our Music or Notre Musique, yeah. uh, which is an astonishing uh, essay film uh, and as vital as anything he's done I mean you know I mean where do you start with guitar you know yeah. he's got a 50 plus year career now mm. at this point and um, there's stuff that's transcendent there's stuff that's impenetrable and there's stuff that's yeah. both um, and uh, and then his last film film Socialisme hasn't ever played New Zealand and I mm. haven't had a chance to see it and um, you know it got really mixed reviews I know it was set on a cruise boat and Patty Smith was on it and a lot of it was shot on DV cameras yeah. using the built-in mics without anything oh, wow, so really? you know they'll be on the, mm. the boat or whatever outside and they'll be just be the you know wind noise and stuff so um it's um, hard to say what uh, 
to expect from this one, but this one yeah. is the first one screening in competition for a while. Yeah. So I'm I I'm in, and yeah. it may be there's almost no question that in some levels it'll be a frustrating exercise. Yeah. Because um, there's always going to be something that is wrong or weird or wrinkles under your skin and Godard, but it's in the context of an intellectually stimulating provocation. Yeah. And uh, I'm on board for that. So, so uh, next up, um, there's a new film by um, Nuri Bilgaz-Salan, um, mm-hmm. so a Turkish director, um, called Winter Sleep. Again, nothing much come out of this, but um, I've seen most of his since Climate. And Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, Anatolia was being fantastic, the most recent. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I really loved, and that was just like a, a beautiful mesh of storytelling and uh, kind of that whole playoff Once Upon a Time, a bunch of, bunch of people giving their bit of a story that yeah. adds into an overall story arc and yeah yeah really beautifully beautifully told so i mean he he's to me proven himself as a as a very interesting filmmaker and as a very interesting visual filmmaker as well as as an absolute sort of big screen filmmaker because yeah. i had um i had some mixed ex- feelings about once upon a time in anatolia but i was so glad i saw that film mm. on the big screen with those huge wide shots and yeah and also a film um one thing that's worth noting about this film is it's the longest film it's three hours and 20 minutes um and oh, I, I actually yeah uh yeah i watched what? the um press conference when they were oh. announcing him and uh they said, well, try to schedule it early in the festival. And I'm just like, ah, you guys didn't Arte the end of history last year. This is short by comparison. Yeah, yeah. But it is, um, you know, lengthy. Even As much as I struggled with the length of Once Upon a Time in Anatolia at points, um, the amazing thing about that film is that it all pays off. For those who haven't seen it, it's sort of this murder investigation on, the, you know, this mm-hmm. hillside, these hillsides in Anatolia. And... We know we've all seen the scenes where everybody's gathered around the body and somebody's talking into the um, dictaphone about yeah. what what they see. But this is the first time that you see all those people standing about around the body, mm. and you know all of them, and yeah. you know like what their issues are and what's what their going role on. Is in, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it's a. It, I mean, I described it as the antimatter CSI at the yeah, time. Yeah. I think, and and so whatever winter sleep is, I'm really interested mm. to see him sort of distort her perceptions of what we're uh, used to my uh, next pick uh sergey loznitsa is uh most known maybe here for directing uh two fiction films yeah. uh, my joy which i yeah. loved and then uh more recently in the fog yeah which i was less fond of but prior to those he'd done quite a few documentaries oh, okay and uh his new film my dan is a documentary and uh it's uh set in the ukraine and of course anybody who's even paid a slight bit of attention to the ukraine at the moment knows that there's a lot of shit going down and again in this press conference uh they basically said he's going to be editing right up till the day that it goes to air as somebody who's half ukrainian um, I'm particularly interested in this. Um, I haven't seen any of his other documentaries, but I'll be trying to You're check. You're half them Ukrainian. Out. Have we never talked about this? I have um, no idea. So I'm I'm officially half I'm officially all American. Yeah. But on my uh, mother's side, both my grandmother and grandfather came over to the U.S. to escape uh, World War One from the Ukraine, and so you know I was raised with you know Ukra- celebrating Ukrainian Easter and things like that. Anyway, so yeah, as half Ukrainian, I uh, am interested to see what Loznitsa has to do with this. And as yeah. a film buff, um, having seen his films, I think he's going to bring a rigorous eye and an up-to-the-minute 
uh, reportage and yeah, it seems really vital. It's an out of competition film, yeah. which means that it's, you know, I don't know what it means really, other than, you know, that they're including so it, it not to be in competition, but just because they think it's really incredibly important, yeah. relevant. And the film that I guess you were going to mention as well, which is also something I'm looking forward to is out of competition in a different way. Cause it's one of three midnight screenings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is, um, the second film or at least uh, the second one that I know. Second feature. Yep. Yeah. By David Michaud, who, um, people will remember from animal kingdom, animal kingdom. Yeah. Australian director who did the story about a crime family. And this one has vague kind of near future sci-fi elements to it. Well, it's not really sci-fi, but it's, yeah, it's, it's called it's the Rover, the Rover. It's near future. Yeah. It's, um, written by um, Michaud and by Joel Edgerton, Edgerton yeah. who um, starred Animal in, Kingdom, in yeah. Animal Kingdom. And it, it stars um, Guy Pearce, who, who I love, uh, another good Australian actor, um, and Robert Patterson, of all people. Right. And the story is, is about Guy Pearce's character who gets uh, something important of his stolen by a gang, who, a roving gang, and Robert Paddington is kind of like a weaker member of them who who he catches and gets left behind and then who kind of then he takes on board to help him try and recover what he's lost. Right. Yeah, so it's sort of set and it kind looks of apocalyptic. Kind of, yeah. Um, and I don't know if it actually is, but it has that, that feel sense, to it. Yeah. And I mean I, I saw uh, one teaser which was maybe like sixty seconds of imagery without yeah. a lot of explanation and I was completely sold on that. Yeah. You know, Animal Kingdom even though uh, I'm a bit burned out on sort of crime family dramas mm. and things like that. I thought it was a really strong film yeah. with a really fresh eye in lots of scenes yeah. to take scenes that we've seen a lot of times and bring something new to them to get yeah. great performances. I mean, Jackie Weaver managed to catapult her way into yeah. um, Silver Linings playbook and things mm. like that off the back of her performance in that from the early accounts and the fact that it's been selected from can i think it's going to be it touched you know scratch that sort of um really powerful unremitting yeah post-apocalyptic itch yeah and it it, it does look like it has the same houses the same kind of tension that he managed to pull out of animal kingdom but with a even with a kind of a slightly more spare and spacious sort of aesthetic to it yeah yeah i'm i mean the for a first feature, Animal Kingdom, I thought was astonishingly assured. Yeah. And so, like, I, if he steps forward from that, there's a lot of promise waiting to be fulfilled yeah. with that. So I'm guardedly optimistic, as always. <laughs> well, g- going from there, I've got a couple of uh, kitchen sink uh, British social realist uh, <clears throat> pieces. Your favorites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff that you love. I've got there's a there's a new loach, loach feature, Jimmy's Hall, and um, oh wait, a new Ken Loach feature made Ken. I can't yeah. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and funny story um, when they were introducing him, they they even mentioned that Ken Loach was like, you know, so many of my films have played Ken. Do you really need to have another one? And when even Ken Loach is like, dude, are you sure you're putting my films in competition? <laughs> you think you get the point? Yeah. Um, but after Angel Share, they somehow thought he was still worth it. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I've got to admit, Angel Shear wasn't his best. Uh, <coughs> wasn't his best work. Um, but Spirit of Forty Five. Spirit of Forty Five, I was fond of. Mm. I'll be fair to that. And um, the, the other one is uh, Mike Lee has uh, Mr. Turner. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Turner, um, which is about the artist who the Turner Prize is uh, yeah. based on. So another biopic and sort of maybe the um, 
kind of period piece and sort of a Vera Drake, Topsy Turvy sort yeah. of. Uh, not that those films are that similar. So anyway, yeah, as far as Mike Lee films go, I definitely have a more nuanced opinion of him than Ken Loach, Loach where yeah, he's yeah. done some films that I've loved, like Secrets and Lies in particular. Yeah. And then um, some other films that I struggled with, like another year I didn't actually get through. I watched on a plane and oh, really? had to turn off because otherwise I was going to walk out. <laughs> um, and on a plane that doesn't work out well. No. But, you know, Vera Drake I really loved. And I'm always open to the idea that he's going to do something. Interesting. That, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't think any of his films have been uninteresting. It's just mm. a question of whether or not I connect with him or whether, mm. whether there's just something a bit too abrasive for my mm. sensibilities within them as far as my two uh picks uh olivia sayas uh who uh, some people might know from Carlos. Carlos yeah. um, people might remember Demon Lover. Oh, yeah. um, he had a film that played uh, the last iteration of Autumn Events called uh, Something in the Air, a.k.a. Okay. Opera May, which was about sort of a semi-autobiographical piece set post the 68 riots in Paris. His new film is called Clouds of Seal Maria, and I don't know much about it other uh, then I believe Natalie Portman, one of those actresses in it. Oh, no, not Natalie Portman, Kristen Stewart. Okay. Yeah, let's try that again. Kristen Stewart is in it. and uh, oh. Yeah, but uh, he's he's got a really fluid uh, sense of camera and a real sense of alchemy to his work that's hard to describe, yeah. but that really takes what could be prosaic subject matter and elevates it. So the fact that I don't know what the film is about doesn't really bother me a whole lot. Yeah. So David Cronenberg's new film, Maps of the Stars, is yeah. playing. I mean, And there's probably five Cronenberg films that would hit my top 100 or 200 of all time, yeah. and a lot of others that I'm really quite fond of. And then in recent years, I haven't even seen Cosmopolis. Eastern Promises, I thought, was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I loved History of Violence. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I really I, thought I it was I kind of a... match History of Violence and Eastern Promises. I kind of hold yeah. those two films together. Some people do, but um, History of Violence just really worked for me yeah. as a really strong commentary on portrayals of violence yeah. uh, Viggo Mortensen's performance I thought was amazing yeah. but there is a, there's always this kind of uh, in a lot of Cronenberg films especially in latter day ones a bit of artificiality yeah. about the performances and the feelings of it mm. and there are certain directors where you go are they doing that because that's the best they can do it or is that actually a deliberate choice mm. and I often Cronenberg for me walks right on that edge of something yeah. that's kind of like not quite believable or not quite right and mm. in a film like Existence for instance where you're always questioning reality or in yeah. Videodrome that works really well and mm. then in some other film like Eastern Promises which is you know has no mm. supernatural or super you know um, or scientific yeah it's more of a straightforward yeah yeah exactly yeah. so yeah but those those are two that I'm I'm certainly holding out hope for I mean yeah. I remember you know I, I may maybe sounding dismissive of Cronenberg but I remember after um Kundun came out I said I'm ready to give up on Scorsese and somebody said yeah. oh the time to give up on somebody is never and mm. since then you know Scorsese's put out you know The Departed and yeah. Shutter Island and Wolf yeah. of Wall Street as well as I mean I didn't like Hugo and Aviator as much but those three films I yeah. really respect and yeah. admire so I, I certainly think there's no reason not to think Cronenberg has another you know great film in him and maybe this will be the one as f and then there's um you know there's all these other sections as well yeah um and director's fortnight i think is actually a competitive 
uh, festival that occurs simultaneously. Oh, yeah. Um, and, um, but I thought it was worth us talking about it because there's at least yeah. four films there yeah. that are essentials, I yeah. think. The one that is absolutely stands out for me, uh, Eseo Takahata's new film. Yeah. And have you seen any of his other films? I don't know that I have. Okay, because um, he... Um, the name may not ring a bell, but um, there's two partners in Studio Ghibli, Ghibli and, yeah. and the aforementioned uh, Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki yeah. is, is certainly gotten the most press. Takahata has been in the background and, in fact, hasn't done a film for about 15 years. Mm. But uh, I think the film of his that has the most traction is Grave of the Fireflies, which is yeah, a um, post-Hiroshima World War II survival story, which is one of the most, in any medium, not just animated, one yeah. of the most gutting Mm. Um, dispiriting, tear-wrenching films ever made. Conversely, Pompoko is a delightful film until it gets actually really dispiriting in its own right yeah. about <laughs> raccoons with inflatable testicles. Um, that uh, it, it just uh, it's it is. Oh, you're just like, oh my god, and um, and then it gets into this, this sort of eco terrorism yeah. thing, and then it gets quite dark. Mm. Um, and then uh, my neighbor, the Yamadas, is actually has this beautiful sort of watercolor thing, and it's very um, episodic and a yeah. bit silly. Uh, so his new film is called The Tale of Princess Kaguya. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, and Lifetime Pass. He yeah. he's automatically on my list. Yeah, and another one that. Uh, I'm looking forward to is um, called Alleluia, um, which is the most recent film by um, Fabrice Duelt, who people will know from what's the French name of it? Calvair. Calvair, yeah. So the ordeal is the English yeah. term, which is like <laughs> hillbilly's gone bad and 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 um, rural Belgium. Rural, yeah, Belgium. So he does kind of slightly surreal, grotesque, um, shocker sort of films not really horror is not really the, the word but it's almost like but it's cinema of suffering yeah in a way, yeah you know um and this one is is loosely based off a news story of some serial killers uh, where we it's like had, in the 40s or something yeah right? yeah we had a young gigolo kind of guy and and a nurse i think was the story that it was based from but and so you've got like a i think in this case a slightly older woman and a younger guy who join up and end up having some a tumultuous relationship and some sort of minor crime spree that then turns into some sort of serial killing very twisted relationship which you know sounds like his kind of area do you see Uh, vinyan i think that's one of his as well i I never got around to it vinyan no no i don't know i really like what he did with the ordeal and yeah um, i think that will be Perhaps distasteful for lots of people, but uh, it should be full of interest. In but it. yeah, for sick, fe- yeah, yeah, sick folks like you, they'll <laughs> just throw it up their alley. Yeah. In a completely different context, um, Frederick Wiseman, who yep. is the, one of the great grandfathers of classic documentary yeah. filmmaking, uh, he—it's hard to describe what makes his films so good. I've seen a few now. I've seen La Dance, and I've seen mm. uh, Boxing Gym, and I've seen mm. Crazy Horse, and he's mm. very much—it's very the purest form of observational documentary there's no voiceover there's no context other than that's provided uh within uh actuality that occurs during the making of the film and uh and he's got quite a dry uh demeanor about him in his sort of observational way Mm -hmm. um for instance has a scene on top of the um the dance theater's 
uh, roof where they have beehives, and there's a guy up there that's getting honey yeah. out of them. And uh, there's a, a story about him, somebody asking, why did you include that scene? He's like, I wanted to show that they had beehives on the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His new film is called National Gallery. I know yeah. I haven't read about it, but I'm assuming that's a reference to the National Gallery in America, which is the greatest collection of art in Washington, D.C., and possibly one of the greatest collections of art in the United States. What I remember from it vividly, because I spent a summer in D.C., is they have Barnett Newman's Stations of the Cross. I like it. Um, And so there's a lot of... And they, you know, um, Roy Lichtenstein and Mark Rothko. Um, But I think there's also much more classical artists as well. I think that was just what I was interested at the time, and I haven't been back for 20 years. But I think the idea of him taking his eye uh, and applying it to this place that anyone can go for free and look at and try to come to terms to with art from the beginning of America to its most recent modern incarnation is going to produce something really interesting that's totally up my alley. Nice. The last one from the director fortnight that I want to um, look at is a um, new f- uh, film by Bruno Dumont. Now, uh, I have not, my French is non-existent, so I, Lil Quinquin? Sure, maybe we'll go with that. Or Quinquin? We don't have our French consultants here tonight, no, so... No. Uh, um, anyway, this is kind of like a, a police thriller that was adapted from a television miniseries, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he had anything to do with the original television series, or... Yeah, it's I all... Pres- I presume all that bit, it does. Yeah, well, it's all a bit been, vague, because yeah. we've just... Uh, this is just sort of late-breaking yeah, stuff. Yeah, But I would presume that it's a cut-down of what he'd shot as a miniseries, series, but... Yeah. It's an interesting but, choice. But, I mean, Dumont, um, of course, most recently, Camille Claudel, oh, 1915. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the biopic yeah. of an artist. And he's well known for very kind of, I don't want to say cold, but quite... Austere, I yeah, think is the word you're looking for. Um, um, and and often confrontational. I yeah. mean, I've, seen, I've only seen Flanders, which I really liked. Yeah, yeah. But that has a couple very brutal scenes yeah. within it. And, um, and I uh, think there's... Uh, he's this, kind of seen yeah. as a, in a similar vein as someone like say Robert Bresson, who, who who looks at I guess the human condition in a very not a negative way because um, say Dumont as well as Bresson are, are really interesting interested in the way that um, humanity deals with it, with itself um, and is quite can be quite sort of brutal in the way that they depict that, but at the same time yeah. has a sense of moments of grace within that and moments of of lightness and joy and love within a quite a, a brutal kind of framing yeah i don't know so dumont in any sense is a really interesting director and absolutely how he's going to yeah. do a police thriller that's not anything <laughs> i've seen yeah I, he doesn't before. seem a very genre kind of guy but no. you never know how these things will bring out of people yeah. and, and the interesting thing of course is that this is just the stuff that's yeah. kind of hitting us from what we know yeah i mean there's so many other filmmakers that we've never heard of yeah or, or people like uh, bertrand bonello who i yeah. should know but yeah. i never got around to seeing house of tolerance yeah and he's got a new film playing at Cannes. yeah the thing is in a month from now we'll have yeah. all the reviews and stuff like that and interesting for me there's another one coming from david robert mitchell um, oh yes yeah who switched that, to a, a that's like that's a teen horror a teen horror well really? i mean not completely horror but because he did myth of the american sleepover yeah correct? which is which yeah. is very much about teen coming of age relationships but sort of sp- spread yeah. over a very short period like over a weekend prior to the start of school again yeah um, and i really love the kind of real sense of 
complexity of emotional relationship and, and a very realistic portrayal of that kind of thing, um, uh, which I think he did really well, and just a really nice emotional tone that he caught in that. Um, but he's looking at a, a, a similar kind of thing with um, some kind of dark setting and also teen coming of age sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So right, Is this the, and this is the debut of it at Cannes. Yeah, because there's um there are quite a few um, American films that are actually yeah, and this is the only American one that's been like put that. in the critics selection. Oh, is I it think? Cr- critics, critics Week? week? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Simone. Um, yeah, because Directors Fortnite has a couple uh, American films. Uh, there's one called Whiplash, which has uh, yeah. J.K. Simmons in it. Um, I think Damien Chazelle is the director's name. He did a film called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. Yeah, but this one is about a uh, high school drumline, and uh, oh, J.K. Yeah. Simmons is the um, tyrannical drum instructor and uh it was uh one of the breakout hits of sundance and uh there's off the the beast of the southern wild is another film a few years back where i played sundance and then ken picked it up as part of its uh gradual pathway to taking over the world so um there is um not i guess not just the new discoveries but then also there uh, putting the stamp on the discoveries mm-hmm. of other festivals. Yeah, yeah but I guess... Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff coming up. Yeah, and hopefully when we, we reconvene, we'll have uh, some news about what else is coming up. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or at least some reports on this kind of stuff. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, whenever that may be, this is Doug. And this is Jacob. And this is Best Worst Podcast. Cheers. <laughs>